When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live your own way in the seven-seat Isuzu MUX. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. <coughs> Excuse me, got a flog frog in my throat at the top of the show. It's a beautiful winter's day today in Perth. We've got a big show for you today. We're going to talk to Trevor Nisbet, the CEO of the West Coast Eagles, of course. He's had a big year. Um, He's got another big year in front of him because I believe he'll be in the chair heading into 2024. And we'll talk to him about the stage of the rebuild. We'll talk to him about his future. We'll talk to him about Adam Simpson's future. We're also going to touch base with Claremont football manager Kepler Bradley. Of course, the Tigers are fighting for a spot in the top five in the WAFL. Um, and we'll also talk to Kepler about Daniel Curtin, the young draftee to be at the end of the season. He's a top five fancy at the AFL draft at the end of this season. Um, we'll find out where he sits in the scheme of things as far as Kepler's concerned. <coughs> we'll touch base with Scott Sattler, of course, who's a regular on our Wednesday show. And uh, we'll take your calls and your suggestions as to what we should ask Trevor Nisbet. And you can get them through on the Temper at Bedshed text line. That is 0487 736 736. Or you can call us on the open line 13 12 55. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Izuzu, Izuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Izuzu D-Max. Yesterday, of course, the announcement that Luke Shuey will retire at the end of the season. He won't play in the derby this week, neither will Shannon Hearn. I have this habit where I describe footballers like they are motor cars. And you'll, if you read Code Sports, you'll know this because I mentioned it a bit. I mentioned it again yesterday when I was talking about Luke's retirement. So if I'm referring to Scott Pendlebury... He's a Rolls-Royce. He's absolute class. He's standing the test of time. Seemingly ageless. ageless. David Mundy, he's more like your seemingly unbreakable, incredibly reliable, no-fuss, tough, all-terrain, four-wheel drive. Paddy Dangerfield, Nathan Five, Christian Petrarca. Those blokes, they're your Aussie muscle cars, big V8s, all power. And when Western Derby time came around, I always thought of Luke Shuey and Stephen Hill as the Ferraris at West Coast and Fremantle. High performance, elite sports. The only problem with Ferraris, once they break, they are incredibly hard to fix and probably impossible to fix. It's the way they move. You can't ask a Ferrari to back off in acceleration. It's what makes them what they are. It is what makes them great. And Hill, the number three pick in the 2008 draft, the same draft as Shuey was taken, He played all 22 in his first season and then no fewer than 18 games in his first nine seasons of football. He raced to 200 games, was a regular top five in the Dockers' best and fairest, and as highly as he was rated, he was still probably underrated. 
But when he broke, he broke for good. He played 13 games in 2018, three games in 2019, 12 games at three-quarter pace, if we're honest, at 2020, and never, never played AFL footy again. He finished on 218 games at the end of 2021. You know who the two most tagged players in Western Derbies were between 2011 when Shuey emerged in the AFL to join Hill as an explosive ball user? It was always Luke Shuey and Stephen Hill. The question was in Derby Week, which we're in this week, who would tag Luke Shuey? Who would tag Stephen Hill? And they were the blokes who absolutely had to be stopped because if left alone, they would gut you like a fish. Luke Shuey has played 247 games, and at his absolute best, he was West Coast absolute best. But since 2020, he hasn't so much been a player who occasionally gets injured as an injured player who occasionally plays. And the Eagles have played 82 games since round one of 2020, and Luke Shuey has played 46 of them. It's not a number of different injuries striking at inopportune moments. It is the same injury over and over again. It's torn hamstrings. Luke's decision to retire, announced yesterday with a magnificent press conference at Mineral Resources Park, is the right one, just as Shannon's Hearn decision a week before him was also correct. And I would argue that Nick Natanui, who recently had his ruptured Achilles tendon repaired and is weighing his future pending his rehab progress, would probably also be right if he chooses to follow them into the sunset, despite the fact that he holds a contract for 2024. So it means the Eagles' last two captains are departing, and one of them led the 2018 Premiership, and the other one won the Norm Smith Medal in the Grand Final. They depart a week after champion forward, uh, sorry, a year after champion forward Josh Kennedy. The Eagles are calling this a list in transition. In reality, it's now officially the end of an era. If Hill got off to a flying start in 2009, Shuey started and finished his career beset by injury because of a broken leg and groin injuries. He didn't play at all in 2009. He played just six times in 2010. He has played only nine games so far in 2023, and he's been subbed out of three of those. He missed 11 games this year so far five last year, 15 in 2021, and five in the shortened 2020 season. And it's mostly been about hamstrings. And as I said earlier, when you move as explosively as the Eagles skipper, it's hard to nurse dodgy hammies through games. Luke is likely to play at least one more game this season. West Coast will try and set him for round 24 against Adelaide in what also will be teammate Shannon Hearn's farewell game. He told the club website yesterday that his mind was willing but his body wasn't able. And he said, we have tried everything to get my body right so I can contribute as I would like, but unfortunately, a series of hamstring injuries have led me to this decision. Between 2010 and 2019, Shuey was remarkably durable, with 2013 being the only season he didn't make it to at least 20 games. He was involved in a very successful Eagles era, including the 2018 flag, the 2015 grand final, eight finals campaigns. And I think... The thing we think of when we think of Luke Shuey, he was a big game, big moment player. It was his outstanding trait. The bigger the moment, the better he seemed to get. It was his after the siren set shot that won West Coast an elimination final against Port Adelaide in Adelaide in 2017. But we will always remember him for his grand final performance in 2018, and that performance stamped him forever as an Eagles great. 
It was a match where the Eagles spotted Collingwood a five-goal head start, and Shuey produced a 34-disposal, one-goal masterpiece of midfield skill and power to drag his team back into the game and over the line. The performance included 19 contested possessions, eight tackles, nine clearances, eight inside 50s, two goal assists. It sits comfortably alongside Peter Matera's five goals off a wing in 1992 as the two greatest individual performances ever produced by West Coast players in grand finals. As I mentioned earlier, Luke Shuey's best was his team's best. Josh Kennedy might have been structurally more important. It could be argued that over the journey, Elliot Yo was slightly more significant because of his extra size and bulk, but there was never much in it between the two midfielders. The pair, Shuey and Yo, won the four best and fairest at West Coast on offer between 2016 and 2019. And the fact that neither has been injury-free for that long since goes a fair way to explaining West Coast's accelerated plunge down the ladder. When Shuey hit top gear, as he did a handful of times through his career, he could get to a level beyond the level any other West Coast player could produce. He had speed out of stoppages, which maximised the ruck edge the Eagles enjoyed with Nick Natanui. His ability to use the ball at an elite level off either side of his body maximised the effect of forward 50 entries gained from those stoppages. Now, the obvious question to ask in the wake of his announced retirement is who will be the next captain? It's assumed that Jeremy McGovern at 31 will be considered too old. It comes down to a race in three. So one is Tom Barris, who Tim Gossage on mornings with um, Scotty and Goss this morning said will stay at the club. He's told the club he will uh, reject overtures from Sydney and remain a West Coast player. So he is definitely one contender. He is the reigning best and fairest winner. Liam Duggan whose shift to the middle this year has underlined his ferocity and leadership qualities, I think is another. And Oscar Allen is the third. Now, Oscar Allen will be the outstanding player going forward of these three, but I would ask the question, does Oscar Allen need leadership on his shoulders as well, given the two tough years that lie ahead of the Eagles? I would say no. And I would say that after having a Ferrari captain them, with Luke Shuey, it might be time for an all-terrain, four-wheel drive type. The durable Duggan, I think, is the bloke I would turn to as captain. But we'll talk to Eagles CEO Trevor Nisbet about that uh, later on this hour. Um, we'll talk to him about his favourite Shuey moments, his favourite Hearn memories, his future in his role, and the future for Adam Simpson. He's been the CEO now for 24 years. He's probably nearer the finish than the start. Give us your thoughts and give us your questions for Trevor. Send them through on the Temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can call us on the open line on 13 12 55. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We'll be back with Claremont Football Manager Kepler Bradley after the break to talk about about Daniel Curtin and the Tigers' shaky waffle form. Yes, 
That is the Claremont Tigers team song, of course. They've been a very successful club over recent seasons. Just hit a bit of a rough patch at the moment. We have on the line Kepler Bradley from Claremont. We're going to talk to him about, A, their team's waffle form at the moment, and B, Daniel Curtin, their up-and-coming young star, who, of course, played impressively for the Tigers at the weekend. Kepler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. So, mate, um, tell us about the team's form. There's been a couple of losses in recent weeks, probably unexpected ones. Has, has it gotten a bit rocky there? Uh, oh, it's a, it's a tight comp, so, yeah, sort of on any given day. Um, you, you can drop games that you'd like to, to sort of win, but um, that's the beauty of it. I think there's five teams sort of all locked in within one game and a bit of a percentage of each other, so... Um, yeah, obviously, the last three weeks haven't haven't sort of gone to plan, but but um, yeah, obviously willing to bounce back and uh, take on Peel this week and hopefully have a have a W. Yep, that'd be handy. Um, and of course, sixth place is West Perth. Of course, who won the flag last year. They're they're far enough back to give you a little uh, comfort, but they're close enough to make a run if you continue to stumble. So you've got to start taking care of business, don't you? Oh, and I think to be successful in September, you, you need that double chance. So uh, I dare say that you know the, the, the five sides in the in the top five at the moment are, are all scrapping to to get that top three spot, um, and that's sort of what what we're focused on at the moment. We're not focusing on, on potentially dropping out of the finals. We we want a double chance, so we we sort of want to win the last three games and head into the finals with a um, yeah bit of bit of momentum. Have you got much mail on Peel? Obviously, they'll be uh, they'll be waiting to see on availability for Fremantle in the Derby. What are you hearing as to who plays and who doesn't play there? Uh, not too sure. I mean, it chops and changes quite quite a bit with their side, but obviously um, they've been going pretty well of late. Um, a massive win over West Coast last week, so um, yeah, they're sort of down there. and we're down at Rushton Park too, which makes the task even harder. They're, they're always. Um, you know, grow another leg down there. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great challenge for for our boys. And obviously, the last month hasn't been great. So, um, yeah, we're sort of we're sort of pretty eager to, to turn that around. Oh, I thought the way we went about it against Eastern Man was, was was pretty good. Our pressure was high, and the, you know, it was probably a kick in the game with with ten fifteen minutes to go, and, and that was with Max Manier who, who fractured his um, foot earlier in the game, and and, and Tyron Smallwood didn't play out. Um, the game, he got concussed in the first quarter, so to have sort of twenty players and come within a you know a kick of a, uh, of a really good East Fremantle side, I thought it was um, you know we we showed that we we're um, you know we we're roundabouts. So you wouldn't expect Smallwood to play this week. What's the prognosis with Mania? Uh, he is having scared, so he's he's certainly out for this week. I, I don't know with with the with the broken bone in the foot. I suppose it, it could be the, the year done for him, but we're just waiting on a bit of info. But um, Tyron Small will, will definitely miss this week, and then um, you know all things going well, put his hand up the following week. It's there haven't been many years where there've been five or six teams in the waffle that have been this closely grouped. Kepler, is this the tightest competition you can remember? Absolutely, yeah. No, as you know, there's always probably been a dominant side. West Perth, I think, might have lost two games for the home and away season, and, and you know, the years before that, it was probably Subian. Um, there was always a, a real sort of gun side that you, you try to nail down. But, but this year, there's you know, there's, there's five teams that on their day can play some pretty good footy, and as you you know, as you know, you look at the ladder, and there's three games left. And there's there's one sort of game of percentage. You know, scattered across five teams, and anyone can sort of take that top spot with a double chance. So I think, um, 
yeah, it's sort of obviously the next three weeks are pretty crucial and you need as many wins as possible. I'm a massive fan of Bailey Rogers and Jai Bolton. I just think they're they're class players at waffle level. What sort of seasons do they have and have they dropped away a little bit this year? Oh, but Bailey was injured, so he he, um, he he didn't play a lot earlier in the year and he's just starting to get sort of match fitness back now, so... Um, he, he sort of played probably more forward than, than what he has in, in recent years, and you know when you look at the, the stats, you might not, you might say that his possession rates, you know, might have dropped a little bit, but his impact on games is still terrific. Um, and Jai, I mean, three weeks ago, I'd probably be saying he's leading the sand over, so in a different role, he sort of played half back and, and, and wing for us, so. Um, He's still getting plenty of the footy, and, and we know when, when he gets the footy, he, he's a pretty lethal kick. So um, both of both of those blokes have, you know, they're they're they're, they're roundabouts, and, and hopefully they can kick another gear and, and, and send us into the finals with with a bit of momentum. It always felt like it was going to be a challenge for you when Jack Buller got drafted uh, to Sydney because he was such an imposing target ahead of the ball and gave you a contest no matter how the ball came in. How have you coped since yeah. he's left? I think we won our next four or five games, but but um, yeah, teams have obviously worked us out a little bit, and, and we're finding it a bit harder to score. And Max Manier, another twenty-one year old key forward for us, probably probably gets the best back now instead of getting the second or third best best back, from, you know, from opposition side. So um, yeah, I think the forward line obviously has has, has um, found it a bit tougher um, with, without Jack. He was he was so good for us and giving us a contest, and then bringing it to ground level for for our. Crummers to kick goals, but um, we, we, we have fan avenues, and again this week we'll change a few things up with Max Manier out. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to go with maybe a bit of bit of a different style, and obviously some personnel changes. So um, we're confident our guys guys can do the job. Now I was keen to talk to you about Daniel Curtin. He played on the weekend. He played impressively. I think it was mainly across halfback. Tell us how you viewed his development and what sort of player you see him as. That's as good a debut as I was saying, I think, at Deep Claremont. He, um, yeah, I always knew he was pretty good, but the way he went about it last week, um, especially his composure for, for, for a fellow playing his first game um, across half-back, played on Leggett and did a really good job on, on you know, a premium forward too. So, um, yeah, he, he can play anywhere. I mean, in the Colts, he, he sort of started off in the forward line and then in the state program, he, was, he, he played sort of mid and a little bit in the back line and then... Um, yeah, we just thought we, we had a spot there because he can play on talls and smalls. So we thought we had a spot on the half-back line to, to give him a go and, and he was absolutely outstanding. So you can sort of see why clubs are tripping over themselves to, to get at him. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's reasonably tall, very agile, but, but his composure with the footies, um, probably the thing that stood out for me on the weekend. Tell us about him as a forward because we've seen him play tall defender. We know that he's gone inside mid um, for the state 18s and done an exceptional job against South Australia. I think he had 26 and six clearances in the game against them. Hmm. What have you seen yeah. of him as a forward? Oh, it, look, the, the, the efforts there. He probably just needs to get on the end of a few. I mean, earlier in the year we had Sam Van Ruin kicking bags of goals, and um, Dan Curtin was drawing the best best defender. So um, yeah, he, he 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 has a little bit of work to do as a forward, but. Um, I've got no doubt it's it's there. He's 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 a pretty sort of special player, um, and and you know I'd think he'd be going top five or so. Um, but yeah, he he's um, he, he has the ability to play sort of those positions. Absolutely, 
he's definitely going top five. I reckon it's a case of how far inside the top five. I'm I'm fascinated by the hype about Harley Reid. And Harley Reid had 23 for, I think it was Essendon in the VFL competition on the weekend. And everyone was raving about that. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. There's a kid over here that's just quietly stepped up and made his debut and been absolutely outstanding for Claremont in a pretty good second-tier competition as well. Um, you've got a couple of other kids that are pretty handy as well, haven't you, uh, that have been invited to the state draft combine? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, every year we, we sort of, you know, pride ourselves on, on getting guys drafted and, and, and giving them opportunities. And, and even the mid-season draft and pre-season draft, we, as a footy club, we're, we're pretty proud of, of, of getting the Alec Watermans and the, the Jack Bullers and, and guys like that on, on list. So, um, yeah, we, we, we've got um, Zach Atalski, who's, who's a sort of a key back. And Ruck, again, he's, he's, his agility is just phenomenal. So, um yeah, I think that's what is really sort of pricking the ears of, of the AFL clubs is, is sort of saying, um, yeah, how he goes over the next period. But but his his agility and speed for for, for a man of, of his height is um, is outstanding. They were trying to figure out where to put all their tools, I reckon, in the state program because they had um, you mentioned Zane Zakostelsky. Um, they also had um, Evan Smith from out at Swans, and obviously the the young boy from down at Peel, Mitch Edwards, who's who's very highly rated, and a couple of others as well. They, they couldn't fit him in, could they? Cohen Livingston, I think, from from Perth was another one. So those kids had to find somewhere else to play. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know probably most years you don't have that problem, so it's. Uh... It's probably um, yeah, as, as an AFL recruiter, it's um, yeah, you sort of got a few options there if you if you're looking for a tool. Um, you know, WA's got quite a few of them. Um, how about a kid like Sam Gilby, who obviously was in draft contention last year and had um, serious injury problems? How's he tracking? I noticed his name bobbed up in the reserves the other day. Yeah, well, he's he's been sort of injured sort of in and out this year as well. So he would have had sort of the continuity he, he would have liked. Um, he's got a tighter ITB at the moment, just in his knee. So um, it's sort of from, it's a week-to-week sort of prospect with him. Um, but when he plays, he, his skills his skills are, are outstanding. So you, you don't sort of make the AIS um, a few years ago if, you, if your skills and your, and, and your sort of your attitude's not, not great. So he's, he's yeah, he's just... Needs a bit of continuity, maybe a bit more strength in the gym, but but when he plays, he, he obviously impacts quite heavily. So it's just a matter of getting him on the park a bit more. And tell us about Jacob Van Royen's younger brother Sam. He obviously you mentioned his four mil in the year he played uh, for the state eighteens. How's he progressing, and and do you see him translating to an AFL footballer? Yeah, I do. He, he's again. Uh, I keep going on about athleticism, but, but you know he. he he leads really well. He, he's super fit. Um, he, he covers the ground beautifully, um, and um, he's sort of athletic when it when it hits the deck. So he, he's got he's got everything you sort of want um, in, in your taller forwards um, at AFL level. Um, so it's just a matter of of again getting himself you know going over the next three weeks and then having a really good final series. And, and I've got no doubt there'll be a heap of AFL clubs sort of. You know, pretty keen to see how it goes when, when the whips are cracking in September. I think he's one of the ones that's um, been invited to the state draft combine. Would that be right, Kepler? Yeah, yeah, no, and yeah, he's had a he's had a fantastic year. Obviously, earlier in the year, he was he was kicking bags quite frequently, but but um, yeah, obviously a deserving um, participant. Of the teams you face this year, who has been the most impressive? Who's the biggest danger? You think? Um, oh, 
I think East Perth and East Romano on, on their day. I mean, East Perth midfield's just outstanding. They've, they've just got A graders everywhere, so it's sort of you know trying to trying to um, cover those guys as well as get your own footing, get it going our way. So. I think if they fire on any given day, they're, they're, they're really hard to beat. Um, and then East Romano's probably got the most balanced um, side. So, you know, they got some really good key forwards, obviously really good midfield, and then and then a couple of key backs um, in Jump and Erdley that, that sort of get a hold of a few clubs. So I think those two um, clubs are, are going really well at the moment and, and sort of on their day, I think their, their best is pretty good. Kepler, wish you all the best. Big game, obviously, coming up against Peel Thunder on Saturday. Hopefully, you get the job done and get yourself back into that double chance contention. No worries. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on the show. Kepler Bradley, of course, football manager at Claremont and uh, a bloke who has uh, let us know just how well Daniel Curtin played against uh, East Romandle at the weekend. Coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes and you can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We'll be back with more after the news. Welcome back to the show, coming to you live from the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Beautiful, sunny winter's day outside. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And as I mentioned earlier, we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. Thank you to Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the seven-seater MUX. Now, we've got a lot of questions coming through on the temper at Bedshed text line for Trevor Nisbet. Don't forget to get a couple more in if you want to ask him. That number is 0487 736 736. Uh, you can give me a call on the open line on 13 12 55 if you want to. And we'll be back talking to Trevor straight after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And uh, we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. Lots to talk about with Trevor Nisbet, the Eagles CEO, uh, when he comes up on the show. In, He's online. Uh, and we've got Trevor online now. Trevor, welcome to the show. Oh, hi. Good morning, Mark. How are you, mate? You've had a busy 24 hours. Yeah, it's been, uh, well, it's been a busy year, Mark. It's been very busy. It has been very busy. Pretty tough too, I'd imagine. Tell us about uh, yeah. Luke Shuey's announcement yesterday. Well, I, I guess it it was uh, sort of expected, Mark. It was a, a difficult one for Luke to process, um, particularly when he, he'd had recurring injuries. And I think in the end, when he... Um, finally made that decision he knew it was the right one and I think speaking to him on Monday he was very clear in his mind that it was the right decision given his uh, his body had, had given up on him on, that, on so many different occasions. Do you expect him to be around Trevor? He expressed, he expressed interest on being around the club and maybe some sort of coaching role do you do, do you think that's a chance to happen? I think it is Mark he, he's uh, He's so invested in the football club and he's also very keen on his coaching and he's um, very much one of those guys who who lives and breathes footy and family and uh, he obviously fits the mould of 
what we're trying to achieve uh, going forward with a young group of players. So, uh, look, we, we're hopeful, but we haven't had that discussion yet, but we'll have that in the very near future. And, of course, his retirement comes hot on the heels of Shannon Hearn's retirement a week earlier. You're, you're losing some greats of the club here, aren't you? We are. I mean, they are outstanding players, great people, um, legacy players, if you like. I mean, they... they will leave a uh, a big hole in our our group but uh what they also leave is um some wonderful memories but they also have allowed our, the young players we've drafted over the last couple of years to see what uh outstanding preparation means to be a really good player and uh they have set a, an enormously good standard over 15 and 18 years respectively now, a bit of news that uh, Tim Gossage broke on Scotty and Goss for, uh, for breakfast this morning, saying that Tom Barris has told the club he absolutely intends to stay and that uh, has no interest in moving to Sydney. You, do you have anything to, to tell us about that? Yeah, well, Tom's, Tom's always indicated that he's, uh, he's staying. He signed a, uh, a long-term contract uh, 18 months ago, so his intent uh, intent was very clear then. It's still very clear now. So uh, yes, the, the other clubs can come at players and and offer um, whatever they like. But I, I mean, in the end, if a guy has a contract, it is up to the club, and, and certainly Tom understands that. But it's also his his will to uh, continue to develop. This, uh, this young group and he's a big part of that development and leadership and consequently uh, we're really positive he'll be with us next year. With Luke's retirement, obviously the, the the question that comes as a result of that is who is going to be the club's next captain. To me, it's a race in three, and Tom is one of those three, assuming that he was always going to stay, um, and the others one, other ones being Oscar Allen and Liam Duggan. Do you have any early thoughts as to whether they're the only contenders and um, and whether the club has a has an early favourite? Well, we've got we've got an existing leadership group, and and that'll that'll need to be worked through. Mark, I, I couldn't give you anything definite on that sort of uh, stuff at the moment. It's only it's brand new that Luke's um, finishing up, and hopefully we'll get a, a, a glimpse of him again in the next uh, next few weeks. So he'll he'll play out the season as will Shannon. So hopefully we'll get get to see them again. But no, we we haven't discussed any of that as yet. You've been CEO for 24 years now, Trevor. How tough has this year been in comparison to other years when you've been at the helm? Look, it's, it's an extremely tough year, but it's um, it's certainly not difficult to understand what we've had to do and to go back to the draft, understanding that that's um, probably what we've done in, uh, previously. It, it's worked for us. We've been able to rebuild, and um, it is tough. It's, it's difficult to stand your ground when you're getting attacked from all sides that uh, you're not doing the right thing and You've been there too long and there's a lot of things that uh, should have happened and haven't happened. And yes, we've made some mistakes along the way. There's no doubt about that. But we've also made some really good decisions. And I'm very positive about uh, the direction we're going in now. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing this group grow. And, uh, you know, that 
that may not uh, necessarily be here for the long term, but I'll be looking forward to, to uh, watching from the stands later on as well and as this group develops into a really successful team. So tell us about your future. Obviously, there's been a lot of speculation and some calls for you to go um, this year. Uh, you have a contract until the end of 2024. Do you expect to be there in 2024? And what sort of plans get put in place for a succession plan beyond when you're there? Yeah, my expectation is that I will be here for, whether it's all of 24 or part of 24, only time will tell. But certainly um, I, I haven't asked for an extension and I won't be asking for an extension of contract. The, the steps for us are to sit down as a board at the end of the year and, and work through you know what's in the best interest of the the football club, and that will happen pretty quickly, I would think, post-season. We've got um, three games to go. Uh, the board will get together and start to talk about, well, what do we do? Um, and we've certainly got uh, a couple of people on our executive team who may be interested also in the role. Um, and We've got some long-termers here who've done a really good job, and they will. I think there's likely to be one or two put their hand up, and then... If the club uh, wants to, they'll look externally and that'll be up to the board. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Like, what's the best way forward, do you think? is Do you get someone in and sort of run a succession plan, whether it's someone who's already there or whether it's someone you bring in to work under you and then take over from you? Or do you just wait until um, the board decides and you decide that it's time for you to go and, and then go to market? Which way do you think they're likely to go on that? Well, it's hard to say, but um, certainly the only thoughts I have in my mind is to make sure I keep doing my job as well as I possibly can and, and make sure the staff are, uh, are working as hard as we can to get our football team back to where we want it to be and where our, our fans and supporters want us to be, and that is uh, vying for finals and getting an opportunity to, to play in finals again as quickly as possible. And that's that's my prime goal at the present stage and has been um, for the last couple of years. So we're trying to get our team right again, and it's difficult. Uh, it it is going to take us some, a little bit of time, but uh, that's that's my my sole objective at the moment. And at the end of this season, the board will sit down and then decide which path they they would like to go on. Obviously, the other person whose position has been the subject of a lot of conjecture, Trevor, is is your coach, Adam Simpson. Do you expect him to be at the club in, in 2024 based on what you're seeing at the moment? I do, Mark, yes. Um, and it's it's been a really difficult year for Adam as well. Uh, I mean, we've, we've introduced so many teenagers into our playing group along with uh, a couple of 20-year-olds and they're, they're starting to show glimpses of, of form on a consistent basis and uh, some of our senior players are, are playing reasonably good footy, um, albeit, um, you know, we've still only won the two games and, and uh, that's uh, inadequate for what we're after. But having said that, it has been a, a really difficult set of circumstances that Adam's been working under for two seasons with so many injuries and obviously we have to concentrate on that but we have to concentrate on on getting the team right Um, and with a couple of retirements um, it means that other people will have to step up into 
greater leadership roles. And we're look, really looking forward to that because we think people develop once um, once that happens. Question from Keezer on Twitter, Trevor. You said previously that we need to get our player availability right. Can you please outline what has or is being done to identify the cause of our injury issues and then to rectify those problems that are controllable? Well, it's a good question because we've been thoroughly going through everything we've done in our, our sports science department, our medical department, um, the um, areas that have really concerned us have been the, the soft tissue injuries and repeat injuries and other things. And so we've gone through that with a fine-tooth comb. And the next thing you look at is um, what personnel you, you need to assist in that area and whether you can actually change your structure to assist uh, the players and, and their um, development or their resilience, I guess, to, um, to what happens with, uh, with particular soft tissue injuries. They've also been, we've also investigated why we've had such bad luck with some of these injuries. You know, we've had extraordinary injuries with um, split spleens and broken arms and thumbs and other things of training, which are extraordinary. And, um, you know, there's no rhyme or reason, but perhaps uh, some of our training techniques need to, need to uh, change as well, and we're looking at all of those things. So, yes, we, we're delving very deeply into what needs to change, and uh, we'll make the necessary changes because we have to. What senior players will you have still at the club next year? Is um, obviously you've got uh, the retirements of Shannon, you've got the retirement of of Luke. Is Andrew Gaff definitely going to be at the club next year? And do you think Nick Natanui will be at the club next year, or um, will his progress from this major Achilles tendon not get uh, from that surgery not get to where you need him to be? I'm sure Nick will be weighing that up right now, uh, Mark. I, I just don't think, um, you know, we can we can push him any further other than he's had the operation and now now he'll have to make his own mind up. And I'm sure he's he's weighing up his future, um, you know, as we speak because it's it's a long long journey back, and he knows that. Um, I would be hopeful that he. he get himself right and be available to play. But it's it's really in his court, as it was with Shannon and, and Luke. Um, with a- Andrew will certainly play on next year. And uh, we will have uh, Jeremy McGovern here, uh, Tom Barras, as we've spoken about. Elliot Yo will be here. Um, Dom Sheed. Um, we've, we've got enough senior players, uh, Jack Darling. And with Oscar Allen and Liam Duggan coming through, Tom Cole... Uh, Jaden Hunt's been a great addition to us. So we've got enough senior players, Jamie Cripps. So there are some really good senior players around this group to assist the, the younger guys coming through. Um, Tim Kelly, of course, I missed. So there's um, there's some terrific players and leaders, and uh, we need the younger players to gel with them to get a, a successful group of players together for, for next season. And, and obviously we, we have to keep improving and uh, we're positive we can with the number of games we've been getting into our younger players this year. A question coming through on the temper at Bedshed text line is, uh, where is the club at in contract talks with Jai Cully and Jermaine Jones from Braden? You know, Jermaine's contracted for next year and 
we're in the process of uh, contracting Jai. Jai's got a knee reconstruction, of course, so his is a bit of a slow burn, but we'll... Uh, We've been in constant contact with his management, and uh, hopefully he'll be he'll be well and truly signed uh, over the next uh, month or two. What are your thoughts on now? You know, you don't necessarily have pick one, obviously, because there's three games to go, and you very nearly won a game on the weekend that would have taken pick one away from you. But if if you still have pick one at the end of round 24, what are the club's views on whether that pick gets split or whether you take the player everyone thinks will be the, the first player in the draft, which is the Victorian Harley Reid? I think you just have to weigh up every everything that uh, that happens before the draft, Mark. We we would take into account all offers and other things that, that come up, but um, pick one is a, is a coveted position to have, and if we have that position, well, we'll look at everything that that comes towards us. There are some outstanding players in this draft, so it's um, it's not our aim um, to uh, to have pick one. We'd like to finish higher than than 18th uh, with three games to go. So our aim is to try and win some. Some, some of these games, but in the end, if we are pick one, well, we'll have to weigh that up. But um, you know, the discussion about Harley Reid has been probably been a bit unfair because he is an outstanding player, but there are several outstanding players in this draft. Absolutely. There's a local boy that uh, made a pretty impressive debut for Claremont on the weekend, Daniel Curtin. I've just been talking to Kepler um, to Kepler Bradley uh, about him. The Waffle team. Yes, it's been problematic for you for, for a number of seasons now. What can be done about that and what changes will you be looking to implement there? Well, we're talking to the Football Commission right now, trying to get uh, some changes to our recruiting rules and, and also our points and uh, the ability to actually pay some more players and some more seasoned players to be the backbone of the of the team, particularly when we have a, a run of injuries like we've had in the last two seasons. Um, in saying that, you know, we've been really proud of the, the guys who've been playing for us because, you know, a lot of them hadn't played a lot of waffle footy and they're coming into the system and, and getting a taste of it. And, you know, the last month, other than the weekend, the last month has been pretty competitive and um, that's with five or six guys um, from our list playing. Now, hopefully in the next few weeks, we might have eight or nine, which will which will mean we'll be reasonably competitive, we hope. And, but next year, we'd like to think we can recruit some players and uh, give the, the team a little bit more substance but behind it if we do have a run of injuries. And that's the aim, and that's what we're talking to the Commission about. Question from Noddy on the temperate bedshed text line. Could you ask Trevor why the Eagles have been resistant to spend over the soft cap to gain a competitive advantage given the Eagles' cash reserves, um, which is a competitive advantage in itself, Noddy says. You are the envy of the rest of the AFL. Have you considered spending over the cap next year to help fast-track the team's on-field performance and development? Uh, well, we have we have been over the cap on a couple of occasions, uh, albeit not extensively, because uh, we believe in the in the having enough discipline to to stay within 
um, the rules and the regulations that are put in front of us. But having and, and also we've got other commitments. We've got commi- uh, commitments to the WA Football Commission uh, every year, and, and we understand that as well. That's not to say that we wouldn't if we thought it was um, in our best interests and and. Uh, it's exactly right. I mean, if we thought it was in our best interest to spend over the cap, make a difference to uh, what we're trying to achieve, uh, we would do that. Um, it's not something that you know every club is willing to do, but we would certainly be willing to do that. And if we think it's, it's going to be necessary, uh, we will go ahead and do that. I did uh, allow myself a chuckle. The debate after the Essendon game on the weekend is that you might have tanked the last two minutes after uh, after coming from five goals down to hit the front. Um, did you allow yourself a smile at all of that or did you uh, grit your teeth and grunt a little bit about that speculation? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I thought it was laughable, you know, to, to consider that, uh, you know, the guys have worked their butts off to get back into the game uh, just to throw the game. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And um, I, I think the um, the chatter about it, um, I think Nathan uh, Buckley brought it up. I think he'd regret saying it because it, uh, it was just um, a silly comment given that we had eight players behind the ball and I think we had two forwards at that stage trying to, trying to, you know, ice the game and it didn't happen. And sometimes it works like that, sometimes it doesn't. But... Uh, in saying that, we were extremely proud of the guys, the way they got back into the game and, and almost pinched it, which is uh, which would have been fantastic. Do you think the system needs to change? I mean, this conversation is had almost every year because of the system they have where the bottom team gets, um, in theory, access to the, to the best kid in Australia. Would you advocate for a different system or are you happy with the system the way it is? Um, I'd advocate for a, a clean of um, first round draft. Um, I think that's more to the point. I, th- I, I, I really think the bottom team or the bottom three or four teams should get access to the best players. And under the current system, with all the different rules and regulations, that doesn't happen. Um, and I, I think it should be a pure draft in the first round and then the concessions for academies and and father-sons and everything else comes into play because um, currently the system doesn't favour to the extent it needs to the the teams that do finish at the bottom of the ladder and if um, the equalisation system is still in place it it needs to to change so that it's uh, equalised if you like on on a faster basis. What are the financial implications of a year like West Coast has had and two years like West Coast have had? What do you um, project will be your financial result this year? I, I think it'll be uh, a reasonable result, Mark. I think we'll we'll certainly um, finish in front, and and, um, and that's a, that's great testimony to um, our fans. Albeit it'll be reduced on last year, um, we're aware of that, uh, but. We're positive we'll be returning a, a really good dividend to uh, uh, the WA Football Commission again, and, and we're comfortable that we'll get uh, get a good result um, for the for the football club as well. So, in the end, it, it will be a, a reasonable year off field, but we're just ex- extremely proud of our our fans and our supporters and our sponsors and partners who have been, you know 
so invested in the football club this year, considering, you know, we came off a very low base and we, in some of our games, have been totally unacceptable and we've we've admitted that um, on a, a regular basis. It just hasn't been good enough. But in general, our supporters have stuck and so have our, our partners and we're, we're uh, extremely proud of that. How would you assess the state of the listeners? What, what would you say, if you're in a rebuild, at what stage of the rebuild are you in at the moment, do you think? Well, it's it's sort of the second or third year of, of what we're trying to achieve. Um, I believe these young guys that are playing, probably a lot of them before they we expected them to be playing, are going to grow really rapidly. And I wouldn't be surprised if um, we were winning games next year and um, people were saying, gee whiz, where did this come from? Uh, because... There's no substitute for playing. And when you've got uh, seven or eight, and I think at one stage we had nine, 20 years and under uh, playing in our our group, they grow really quickly when they're getting games under their belt. And we saw glimpses of that over the last couple of weeks. And we'll hopefully see more of that in the next three games. Then we'll add to the group next year with um, four or five draft picks who will end up meaning we've got uh, 17 or 18 really young players on our list and the profile of the list changes really really quickly. Um, so, look, we're sort of mid-range, I think, Mark, to try and answer your question in a long-winded way, but I think we're, we're sort of midway and uh, we will start to see the build from here. Uh, question from Luke. Uh, Ryan Marrick, does he have a contract or a contract extension? Where, where's he at with that? Yeah, Ryan, Ryan's uh, been fantastic for us, and he, he does have next year as well. Um, he, um, When he applied for the mid-season draft, he applied for an 18-month contract, which uh, we obviously obliged with, and he's, uh, he's slotted in really well for a young guy who was playing under-18s, you know, bush footy, um, country Victoria, um, Earlier in the year, he's he's done a remarkable job and he's he's slotted in so well with the rest of our young guys and we're really really pleased for him. He he um, he didn't know whether he he get an opportunity. He's got one and he's he's bar one game he's played every week and he's done a remarkable job really and uh, his improvement. Um, could be dramatic over the next few years. He's got a bit of skill. He's very clean, makes really good decisions, which are all good traits for a, a 193 centimetre kid who can move a bit to, uh, to have this. Um, Lisa from Allenbrook, one of our uh, regulars. She's actually a cow from uh, South Bunbury. You'd be, you'd be familiar with the cow family. She says, can you please ask Trevor if they would look at picking up Dan Curtin? Obviously, she's a bit of a fan. Yeah, well... Um Look, Dan, Daniel's a very good player, and our guys have mentioned him several times. He's um, a quality player, and I, I watched his uh, debut game on the weekend. He was um, quite exceptional for a young guy playing his first league game. So no, he's a real talent, and there's no doubt he'll be in, in discussions when uh, when we get to the draft. Niz, a couple of quick ones before I let you go. Jaden Hunt's been a great pickup for you. Will you will you try and get another cheapie if you like to to help um, put some more experience around the kids you're going to have on the list? 
Yeah, well, look, I think that's uh, there's always that opportunity. If, if the right person comes up and the right sort of player, um, also we'd be looking at players who can fit into, I guess, that middle bracket, to 21, 22, 23-year-olds that, that we think are... Uh, capable of helping with the growth of the the players uh, that we've already got. We'll certainly be looking at that as well. So, yeah, look, there's no doubt that uh, we'll be looking for, for other players other than just going to the draft because I think it's important to get the profile right uh, with our list and uh, with some of our senior players moving on, it'll be really important to get that, that middle group right as well. Obviously, Derby Week is a big week always in Perth. How's the build-up been to this one? And uh, what are you expecting happens on Saturday night? Well, the biggest thing for us is being really competitive in every game, and and, uh, that's no different to to what we expect this week. We want to be really competitive, and hopefully that's good enough to win the game. But uh, there's no doubt, you know, with uh, Fremantle... Um, played pretty well against uh, Brisbane the other day to keep, you know, keep them from scoring, and consequently, the game was super close. And in the end, we've got to play really well, and and that's what we'd be trying to do. Uh, the build-up so far is well, really, that the last couple of days have been about Luke, but the next um, few days, the guys will have their main training session tomorrow, and and uh, hopefully, we'll get an opportunity to to have a a really good squad together and then uh, have a real crack at Fremantle on uh, on Saturday night. Yeah, good news at the Tribunal last night. Bailey Williams getting off. He's been uh, one of your success stories, I think, uh, this season and, and one of your young players that's really impl- improved. Trevor, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Really appreciate your time. Good luck with everything for the remainder of this season and also heading into 2024. Uh, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Trevor Nisbet, he is the Chief Executive of the West Coast Eagles, of course. He's been a long-standing employee in that position of the club. Uh, what do you think? If you have anything to say about what Trevor has said on the show, you can on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can uh, give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. We'll be back after the break. Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We'll take some news and be back with more of the show. Yeah, well, Tom's, Tom's always indicated that he's, uh, he's staying. He signed a, uh, a long-term contract uh, 18 months ago. So his intent... Uh, intent was very clear then it's still very clear now so uh, yes the other clubs can come at players and and offer um, whatever they like but I I mean in the end if a guy has a contract it is up to the club and and certainly Tom understands that but it's also his his will to uh, continue to develop this uh, this young group and he's a big part of that development and leadership and consequently uh, we're really positive he'll be with us next year. West Coast Eagles, Trevor Nisbet, part of the interview we've just done here on Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. That interview is available on podcast. You can access that on sen.com.au if you want to revisit that. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Thanks for all your input on the temper at Bedshed text line while we're talking to Trevor. 
We'll take another break and then we'll be back with Duff's deep dive after the break. You're going to need a bigger boat. Diani now over the back. Sends a lovely pass in. Oh, what a goal that is! The strike to the bottom left corner. And Dali puts it in with a rocket. Diani through. Diani sticks out of foot. Traps the ball. Yes, France took care of Morocco in Adelaide last night. 4-0 the scoreline in their round of 16 Women's World Cup match. Of course, they play the Matildas in Brisbane on Saturday. How will they go? And what does it mean for sport in Australia, Julian? And that's the question of Duff's deep dive this week. Of course, it is brought to you by the Isuzu MUX, the seven-seater Isuzu MUX, and you can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. But what do you think? I, I get the feeling that the Matildas have the potential to make a seismic shift in the Australian sporting landscape. One, a seismic shift which pushes up women's sport, and two, a seismic shift which pushes youngsters towards soccer in Australia. I think if they get through, they've probably got to get past another, at least another round and play in the semi-final stage. But if they can do that, then I think we're looking at a, a big change in the Australian sporting landscape as a result of what we've seen from the Matildas. I think they already are, Duff. <clears throat> and I think that is obvious. That is evidenced by what we've been seeing with the crowds around the country. The, the record crowds that we've seen at just about every venue. I mean, just... Going back to that France game last night, uh, there's 12,500 people on a cold Tuesday night in Adelaide going along to see a match between France and Morocco. I mean, who would have imagined that? You're seeing crowds of 40,000, 45,000 in Sydney at the Sydney Football Stadium to go and watch matches between neutral nations. We are already seeing that seismic shift. But I go back to... And I hesitate to use the men's game as a comparison, but I go back to England in 1990 at a time where the game was on its... Uh, well, I wouldn't say it was on its knees, but certainly on the outs because this was on the back of the, the hooliganism era in England. Uh, you know, it wasn't really seen as... I guess it, it was always mainstream, but it wasn't looked upon as a favourable event. And then come the England side of the 1990 World Cup and they made the semi-finals, And reinvigorated a country's love for football and their national team. And then on the back of that, a couple of years later, the Premier League is is formed and obviously you're off to the races. But I do agree with you on the point that they're probably one more win away from truly embedding that, much like how the England men's side did in 1990. I think that a semi-final berth at this World Cup at minimum would be that moment for the Matildas and for Australian football as a whole. This isn't just a gender situation anymore. This isn't just about women's sport. This is about the, the code as a whole. And if they can get to that semi-final stage, then we will be seeing the residuals of that for 20 years plus. Yeah, I think what we're going to see is the access to first-choice athletes. I think that's what's going to happen here. Now, the difference between... Um, 
football, as you would call it in England, and soccer, as I would call it in Australia, is that soccer has never been a first-choice athlete sport in Australia. It's had its uh, niches and it's had its strong uh, spots and and weaker spots. It's always been a story of missed opportunity, I think, with soccer in Australia. Just at the point where you think they're going to break through, they will stumble, they will mess up in some way. Um, Administratively, they've been shambolic. But what I do see here is the hero worship, the adulation that's going to be bestowed on these players. And it's no longer just about Sam Kerr. That's the other thing. The fact that Sam Kerr has been mainly missing from our first four matches at this World Cup. Um, hopefully she plays, um, you know, more. Hopefully she plays at least half the game on Saturday and hopefully we get through and hopefully she plays full games from then on in. But the fact we've seen Caitlin Ford emerge as a genuine superstar um, in Australian sport. We've seen Hayley Razzo emerge as a genuine superstar in Australian sport. This is now a number of girls who are going to become household names. And if we get through one more round, it's not just going to be about a sugar hit where everyone goes, oh, that was great. We all feel good about it. And now we all move on and we do something else. I think if people can see um, three or four massive events which the the Matildas will have played if they get through to the semi-final stage, it will stay with them. Girls will pick up the sport and play it. Um, and I think young boys will too. Um, it, it will be embraced. As we talked about on the show yesterday, um, the women's game, the Matildas game against Denmark the other night was the most viewed sporting event in Australia this year. Now, if you'd have said that could happen about... A, a women's sporting event in Australia, a women's soccer match in Australia five years ago, you wouldn't have thought that was humanly possible. It was more than just any sporting event. It was the most viewed TV program, period, Yep, uh, in Australian TV this year. And that will be broken on Saturday, I guarantee you. Saturday, 5 p.m., the game in Brisbane against France, that will be beaten again. And going back to that semi-final, if it is, then look, as I called that game last night. France were very, very ominous. But you do also have to take in the quality of opposition being Morocco. They far and away overachieved to get to the round of 16, and, and the game was over in 25 minutes. Um, the fact that the Matildas have beaten France already in the warm-up game at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne a few weeks ago does give us some cause for confidence, but this is a very different environment altogether. But if they were to get through to that semi-final... The other game in that side of the bracket is England-Columbia. So you want to talk about moments that leave memories. Australia versus England in a potential semi-final. That in itself is something that you remember. The great sporting rivalry already, and particularly in that stadium, Stadium Australia, you you think back to the Rugby World Cup final 2003. That still stays with a lot of people. Those sorts of... That's the sort of of Pantheon that we're getting to now. And then if, you know, if all things being equal and geez, I hope it happens if they can make it through to the final, we're seeing heavyweights fall left and right. And then you see what's on the other side of the draw, Japan, they are the favorites to get through on the other side of the draw. Could you imagine Australia, Japan Japan, in a final? Yeah. Japan looks ominous. You know, the other thing, um, the other element to this is that for a stadium that's often maligned, there have been, like, what usually um, embeds stadiums in our affections over the years is the events that we see there. 
and the happenings that we see there. The MCG is great because it was the you know it hosted the nineteen fifty six Olympics. It hosts the AFL Grand Final, the old VFL Grand Finals. It becomes a place of worship. You know the Boxing Day Test. You think about the major events at Stadium Australia for a place that's maligned because of its location. Yeah. There've been some incredible events at yeah. Stadium Australia. It's where Kathy Freeman ran the 400 metres, you know. It's where John Aloisi converted the penalty that got us back in the World Cup finals. You mentioned the the Rugby World Cup final as well. Um, and now the Matildas, you know, fingers crossed if they get through, they will have played three times at that stadium in, in massive, massive events. And, and nothing quite unites the country like when our, either our men's or women's soccer team gets going in a major international sporting competition. It's, it is the world game. And, you know, I'm an AFL guy myself, but I do acknowledge it is the world game. And then when they get going at a World Cup, um, obviously if our men ever get through to the elimination stages, it's a big achievement. Our women have a chance to go further than that and really compete at the pointy end. The nation does get behind them in a way they do not get behind any other national team. I was in that stadium the night that the Socceroos won the Men's Asian Cup against the Korea Republic in extra time. And I grew up in the area. So this I know full well about how maligned that stadium is. When it's empty, it's horrendous. But when it's full, it is as amazing an atmosphere as any stadium in the country. Yep. I agree. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line. That is 0487 736 736. You can call us on the open line on 13 12 55. That's been Duff's Deep Dive. Thanks to the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. You can live your own way in the MUX. Visit your Isuzu ute dealer today. We'll be back after the break. Keanu Kitty was up at the line. Yes, winning try for the Warriors last weekend. We've got Scott Sattler. He's one of our favourites. He comes on the show every week, every Wednesday, to talk matters NRL. But before we get started on Rugby League this week, I'm going to ask Scotty. Scotty, welcome. Hey, Gus. Mate, um, the Women's World Cup, have you been a fan? Have you been a watcher? Well, I've been a fan in a sense that, um, that like, all Australians do when we have this, what I like to call a sporadic saturation, where we have sporadic um, major events in sport where it saturates the market for a small amount of time and the country just gets on board. So um, I've got to say, I'm not an avid football fan. I don't watch it regularly. Um, I support Liverpool only because my son does. Um, and I support the Brisbane Roar because they're the team in Queensland and also the Lions and uh, in the AFL. But um, I've been watching it purely because it's our, you know, it's our country that's going really well. So, um, yeah, I've, it's it's been amazing to watch. It's been amazing the crowds, Duff. It's, the crowds have been absolutely phenomenal. It's And the buzz in the streets has been, um, you know, it's captured everyone. I'm curious to know what it means in the longer term, Scotty, and I'm an AFL man and you're an NRL man, so we view this from a different prism to, say, what um, football or soccer fans may view this. Is this a sugar hit or are we seeing a shift on the Australian sporting landscape as a result of this Women's World Cup? 
Well, along with netball, it's the biggest participation sport when it comes to those junior those junior participation numbers. And that makes sense because, you know, even as a rugby league player, you know, I didn't play rugby league till I was 12, so it was all about playing soccer. And that was purely because my mum thought rugby league was too rough, so mum made the decision in the house, not dad. And we see a lot of that now. We see you know, mum makes the decision for the child up until they're about sort of 13 or 14 when, when especially male athletes, they want to follow in in dad's likes and what team they follow in whether it's rugby league or AFL. So, um, and that makes sense. Is it a sugar hit? Yeah, it is. It, it is a sugar hit. And the reason why I, I think it's it's never going to be a mainstream sport from a, a viewership point of view is, well, one, it's very hard from an accessibility point of view. It's behind a paywall if you want to watch it, a little bit like the rugby, the rugby union. But also mainly stuff, I think, AFL and rugby league and, and our cricket players, all the best players in those sports, well, AFL is the only country we play in, Australia plays, but with cricket and rugby league and AFL, the the athletes are so tangible. I mean, you can go down to any any one of your you know, local clubs and watch the team train and you can get photos and you get autographs and you can reach out and touch them and um, and they're real. So I think with our soccer players, our football players, they've all got, and our basketball players, they've all got to go overseas. The best players to get the best to get the best competitions. You know, EPL with soccer, or Europe, whatever it may be, and with basketball to America. And um, so, yeah, I, I feel as though sometimes they're not real. You can't reach out and touch them, and and so we can't sort of assimilate with them. So I feel as though that's why it's always a short hit because we get all the best, like with the World Cup. Of basketball event account. We get all the best that comes to one location. We can we can all jump on board and jump on their back and really support them. But then when it finishes, they all disappear to their irrelevant competitions. And I think that's what's different with our our mainstream sports like rugby league and AFL. So speaking of sugar hits for sports, the NRL came to Perth last weekend. I think forty thousand at Optus Stadium to see the double header. That a successful event in your eyes? Absolutely. And I think you know, unless if there's going to be an 18th team, which I, I guess there will be, there'll be no doubt on whether that's going to be one that's out of the you know, the Pacific Nations um, or whether it's going to be a team in, in Perth. Either way, we've got to keep taking games to Perth. Uh, I just feel as though we, there's a, there is a small enough rugby league community over there that, um, that have either moved over there, that were Western Reds fans, that are just playing sports fans um, that, that have tended just to go and watch. So I think, you know, I think it was a success to see there's over 40,000 people attending um, a sport that maybe a lot of them don't know what's actually going on, but they like the contact. They like the excitement about what happens in rugby league. It's a smaller field than the AFL and a lot more confined spaces to try and you know, find open space. So, and I was glad that the very first try that was scored in the double header was one of the superstars, Carlin Ponga, you know, sets up a try and then and then finishes it off from 30 or 40 metres. Now you see one of the, the genuine superstars of the NRL school and open the double header. I thought it was a, a really successful campaign. I, you know, I wish we, I wish we continue it. Yeah, and, and you know what? I remember the days of the Reds, and um, I got invited along, sat boundary side um, for a game that the Reds played. I think it was against Newcastle. Um, from from memory, um, I know Paul Harrigan was certainly playing. Um, for the other team, uh, the big chief. He was a bit of a fearsome sight standing, standing somewhere near you. Um, and 
And there was a, I reckon there was twelve to thirteen to fourteen thousand. I reckon regular um, followers of that team, the Reds. I reckon they could build on that now. There's a, there's a massive, um, you know, Kiwi element. Um, in Perth, they are more inclined to the rugby codes than, than the AFL codes. Um, I get the feeling that you could sustain a, a successful NRL team in Perth. I know you've not you're not a massive fan of it, but but I get the feeling it, it's doable. Hey, um, tell us about Wade Graham retiring after a 16 year career at Cronulla. Well, he, he comes from my former club. He comes from that region, the Penrith region, which is about now west of, of the Sydney CBD. It's out of the base of the Blue Mountains and a real working-class community. And he came through the grades of Penrith as a, a number six, a five-eighth, a, a ball player, you know, the creator of everything. And he was always uh, such a great, a great junior, uh, Wade Graham. And then he made his first grade debut very young. I think he was 17 or 18 years of age. And... And then moved on from Penrith and went to Cronulla and was one of the real mainstays in the Cronulla Sharks side that ended up going on and winning the, the comp in 2016. Uh, he was pretty much like their second coach. And he, after a, a great career, which is, you know, he's played for his country, his state, and, and won a premiership as well. Uh, it's just a matter of time before Wade Graham's one of those players, Duff, that moves into the, the coaching sphere, I think. Um, Tremendous guy off the field, a real knockabout. Probably a bit of a throwback, actually. Probably played through, at times, through played him in the wrong era. Um, probably a little bit more of a throwback to the 80s or 90s. And, uh, but a tremendous young a tremendous young guy and a great player, a great servant to the game. A real voice to the game now when it comes to the Rugby League Players Association as well. He's, he's got the game's best interests at heart. Um, but, yeah, he's been, he's been not only a true warrior, the amount of... You know, the amount of battering that his body's been put through, but he's also been one of the real creative, skillful players over his career as well. He's a, he, he's a tremendous, tremendous player and tremendous guy off the field as well. One more before I let you go, Scott. Which game are you most looking forward to this weekend? Which has the most implications for the comp this, this year? Oh, well, there's, there's so many. Because whatever game at the moment, Duff, there's so many clubs are teetering on where they're going to sit in the A. So Newcastle, they've got to keep winning to play to play finals footy. The, the Canberra Raiders, who are sitting fifth at the moment, but they've got a negative four and against. If they lose a game and, and three or four teams win, they could drop four or five five spots down to about you know, 10th or 11th position. Um, the Brisbane Broncos, everyone keeps questioning about whether... You know, they're going to be the team that they once were, that they um, that they keep showing us and sitting second on the competition, equal first. So, you know, all of those teams that are involved in those games are all teetering on whether, you know, whether they're going to, um, you know, whether they're going to sit in the top four or the top eight. So, there's still so much to play for with uh, what four rounds remaining. Who's your tip? Who do you like? Well, you have to be you're going to have to be a really good team to beat this Penrith side. Defensively, they've been one of the best in the history of the game. So um, you're going to have to be a team that's going to be really good to beat them. So out of those teams who I think can beat Penrith, I think the Broncos can beat Penrith if they get to the grand final. Um, and I think if South Sydney, if they make the eight, I think they're the only team that can beat them from outside the eight. And we had a really exciting return to the rugby league field after 14 months. His name's Ryan Pappenhausen. He's one of the superstars. He plays for Melbourne. He came back last week. And if they get everyone back on the field, I think Melbourne on their day with Pappenhausen back, they can definitely beat Penrith. But you know what? You're going to have to be on your game for three weeks during the final series to, to beat Penrith.
Scotty, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure having your show and uh, good luck calling games this weekend. Thanks, Duff. Scotty Sattler, part of the SEN family, one of our favourites on Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Ute. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Don't forget to shop winter at TKD. And we are, as always, brought to you thanks to Isuzu Ute. Live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. We'll come back to close up the show and do the class ladder update after this break. Yes, welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. Remember to shop winter at TKD. Remember that we are, as always, brought to you thanks to Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We're also brought to you by Class Harvest. And with the weekly Class Harvest ladder update, Julian joins me on the show now. A class harvest handles and harvests your crops with ease. We'll start with the SWFL this week. Bustleton lead the way, clear over Kerry Park by four games. Donnybrook, South Bunbury, Bunbury, Augusta Market River, Harvey Bulls, Harvey Brunswick, Leshenol, Dunsborough, Eaton and Collie Eagles is how that looks there. And the Waffle, East Fremantle on top now, leading East Perth on percentage. Subiaco, Peel and Claremont, the top five. West Perth, Swan District, South Fremantle, Perth and West Coast make up the remainder. On the AFL table, Collingwood two games clear of Melbourne, who've shot up into second place ahead of Brisbane and Port Adelaide. Carlton have jumped up to fifth place. The Bulldogs, the Saints and the Giants equal on 44 points make up the eighth. Then the Cats, the Swans, the Crows and the Bombers within a game. Richmond and the Gold Coast, Fremantle, Hawthorne, North Melbourne and West Coast. That's the ladders across the nation. Class has everything you need to harvest and handle your crops with maximum efficiency and ease. Well played, Julian. So, mate, Derby weekend this weekend. Do you take much interest in the Derby over there in Melbourne? I do personally. I love the the local rivalries. I love the Sydney Derby. I love the, well, the Battle of the Bridge, as they say. The showdown's always a highlight. And the Western Derby's always a special occasion, no matter where they are on the table. And I think this has got a lot more intrigue to it than many people think. I expect Fremantle to get the win, but I think the Eagles are going to push him for four quarters. Yeah, I think it's going to be closer than people think. I think it'll be about a 20-point game. I do expect Fremantle to get the win. I like the fact that they've shifted Hayden Young to the midfield. I think that'll be significant. I like the fact that Bailey Williams is going to play. I didn't like West Coast chances if he didn't get up uh, and beat that tribunal ban. But uh, without Chewy, without Hearn being able to play in this game, I think Fremantle by about 20 points. Thanks for joining us on the show this week. We will be back on Monday to dissect the weekend's events and uh, bring you up to date with more on Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA.